Well, this past week, my family and I have uh, ventured in hosting. Um, we had started off on Sunday night, had the Pakistani family coming and sharing with us at our house. When we had one of the young Belarusian girls uh, with us. So my wife asked, well, what do you fix someone from Pakistan and Belarus that they eat? I said, well, you know, everybody eats bread and fruit, so let's just go there and and so it's been an adventure between uh, Sunday to today of uh, how to host someone. We've never really uh, had someone in our home for this long length of time, one week. Some, many of you have been doing this for six weeks. And so uh, it, it's been an adventure, learning about yourself, learning about love, about giving. And, uh, you know, it's, I thought it was very interesting that in Divine Providence, as we were studying through Genesis, that this Sunday we were talking about Genesis 18. And the first part of this chapter, Abraham is hosting heaven. And he is serving them there in his tent. It makes no difference what your abode is. It's all in your heart and your attitude. Do not, do not say that you cannot host someone, that you cannot serve someone, that you cannot have them in your house because of the state of your house. It is in the attitude of your heart that hospitality is evidenced. The hospitality of your heart. And here we have Abraham and one of the highlights of his life. It is one of the most intimate, divine encounters that Abraham Abraham will have, and he's had quite a few. Up to this point in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, we've had uh, a vocal uh, expression given to him, speaking directly. In 14, chapter 14, we had a spokesperson come in. In chapter 15, we had a vision And in chapter 17, we have what's called a theophany, a manifestation of the glory of God given to him and evidently some remarkable uh, description or qualities in that way. But here, in this chapter, they are surpassed in that he just sits down and eats a meal with God himself and the angels. We're talking about divine intimacy. Abraham and having this divine moment, did some things that maybe he was aware, maybe he was not aware in in preparation for his host of who they would be. But nonetheless, there are powerful lessons to us in anticipating and in preparing divine, intimate encounters that God does indeed want to have with you. And we'll learn a very powerful lesson as to who God is as we go through this. And so... As we get to this passage, let's stand in honor of this passage in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1 through 15. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, Three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that you shall pass on, for therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou said. Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the earth, 
And Abraham ran into the herd and fetched the calf tender and good and gave it into a young man and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to thy time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Abram and Sarah, old and well-stricken in age, and it ceased to be the manner with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? The Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. You may be seated. There have been many moments in Abraham's life that are peaks and valleys. This is a peak. He's had valleys. We've seen him lie uh, concerning the identity of his wife. He's seen, we've seen him follow the lead of his wife and involving other women and trying to accomplish the promises of God. But here we see a beautiful moment that Abraham, no doubt, will remember for the rest of his life. We find in the very first verse that it makes it clear who is coming to Abraham. This is not just angels, though angels are with him. The Bible says in verse 1 that the Lord appeared to him in this certain location. I want you, as we look at this, learn some lessons. The very first lesson we get right here in verse 1. And having divine intimate encounters with God, it's important to take note, where is Abraham? It is important because I believe the author makes note of where he's at. Notice it says... It gives a very specific location that he's in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, if you have been with us, you've heard this phrase now repeated a couple of times previously. And the oaks are in the trees of Mamre, where he has his tent. We find that in the very first beginnings, in chapter 11 and chapter 12, that God sends Abraham to go away from Ur. And we find that one of the places he settles in is right here, in the tents of Mamre. It is in obedience to God that brings him to this location. And we find that as he does so, as he goes from the north down to the south of Israel, he builds altars and worships the Lord. And this is part of the missionary activity of Abraham as he's proclaiming the name of the Lord in these places. And that's where he's at. We find in chapter 14, when word comes to Abraham concerning Lot and the distress that Lot is in from uh, the evading armies. And that's where he is still. What is the point? It's been 24 years, and Abraham is still obeying God and where he is at. He's in the tents of memory, or in the oaks of memory. There is where God has asked him to be. That's where he's at still. Here's the lesson. In divine intimate encounters, you must be sitting in the place of obedience. You must be sitting in the place of obedience. That is where he is at. There's a point made on where he's at. The point is, 
He is obeying God for 24 years. He has been obeying God, and he's still there. I remember when I was in high school getting ready to go to college, and I, I was trying to figure out what does it mean to follow the Lord? What does it mean to know God's will? I had been hearing this all my life. My granddad had great emphasis to, uh, to me to say, follow the Lord's direction, follow his will, stay in his will. And finally, I was getting to the age where I was making decisions for my own. And I was trying to say, how do you do that? How do you follow God's will? How do you know his direction? And I'd ask my granddad, I'd ask some of my Sunday school teachers, and I'd say, what, do you, what does that mean? And they would say, well, you know, it's a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle of being obedient to God. And I thought, well, how's that going to help me next week? Because I want to know by next week where I'm supposed to go, all right? And some of you understand that. You've been there. You know, I want to know next week where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to be doing. But the point of it is, is that it is a lifestyle of being obedient to God, and God will tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. And I have found that to be true. In all of my life, as I have sought to obey Him, God has told me exactly what I needed to know when I needed to know it. And He has made it clear. But it's only done in a lifestyle of obedience to Jesus Christ. We see that Abraham's been doing that. He has been consistent. Can you imagine 24 years? We know that 13 years have passed between the episode with Hagar and when God gets a revelation, or when Abraham gets a revelation in Genesis chapter 17 that it's not Ishmael, that it will be another one from Sarai. And so for 13 years, life has been carrying on in the desert lands of Palestine. He has been doing his thing. He's been taking care of the sheep. He's been taking care of his family. He's been managing the household. His life is very, well, normal. <laughs> just normal. You think, you know, these guys like Abraham, they, just life is different. They can walk on water. No, they do the things that you do. There are people of like passions, and they're just carrying on day after day taking care of their things. But he's doing it in the place of obedience. And now... At this point, we find just a few minutes, a few months from Genesis 17 to Genesis 18, God gives another uh, revelation to Abraham. And so we see that he's sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. It gets hot there, all right? In the heat of the day, you know what he's doing at the tent in the heat of the day? Maybe what you wish you could be doing in the heat of the day. He's taking a nap. He's taking siesta. That's kind of what they do there when you have no air condition and it's just hot. You know, you don't move. <laughs> you just sit there. And so that's kind of what he's doing. But even worse are some folks that are traveling in the heat of the day. And so he lifted his eyes. Why did he lift his eyes? Because they were down low. They were closed. All right, he lifted his eyes and looked. Behold, three men were standing by, by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. Now, the Middle Eastern hospitality is... Is, is well known, it's famous of being just great in hospitality. We see a measure of this in Abraham, but I think you also see something else about Abraham, uh, more than just Middle Eastern hospitality. But nonetheless, this is what you do, you greet them, you, uh, you uh, welcome them in, you treat them, and so he comes and bows himself to the ground, and verse 3, he says, My Lord, if I have not found favor, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Now he says, My Lord, that could be referred to master or mister. It was kind of a customary term in that day and time. But uh, some of your translations will have it capitalized. 
The reasons why some of your translations are capitalized, I don't think the NIV is, but some of them are, is because it reflects a word that's more than just Mr. All right? It's not just Adonai, which can be a generic term, but it's Adonai, which usually refers to God. This is a hint that maybe Abraham knows that these folks are not just strangers. So he says, my Lord, uh, if I've now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. He takes the, the ranking of someone lesser and exalting these three that are coming to him. Uh, and then he asks for some water to wash the feet, uh, to bring him rest, to bring him bread. But what you get from this passage right here is that he's seeking the fellowship of of these folks. Listen, when we have divine intimate encounters, it's not going to happen unless we seek seek the fellowship of God. God's presence is not exhibited in, in unusual ways or in great ways where folks don't want it, where they do not want him. And so there must be a heart that is seeking after him. You desire these things. For instance, we need to understand that we must come and we want his presence. We want his leading in our life. Uh, one of the things in, in hosting uh, uh, a young lady this past week speaks a different language. We learn a lot about nonverbals. How you say it matters. The facial expression matters. And I tell you what, it just does wonders to your heart when you see someone that looks at you with a big bright smile. And they just come up and hug you. It just lets you know they like me being here. They like my presence here. And that just lifts your heart up to have someone do that too. What does God do? Or how does God see you and your heart? Do Spiritually, you flash a big smile at the character of God, at the presence of God. Is there a run? Is there an embrace? Is there a desire? God, I want to know you more. I want to experience you. I want to follow you. I want to love you. Or is it that we come to church and think, oh, I've got to do that. I have to come to church. Or I have to sing. I have to read the Bible. I have to give. Friends, if you have to worship, something's wrong with our hearts. Something's wrong. This is not just some hobby. This is not just some person that you put up with. This is God who is beautiful in all that he is. And we have lost sight of him when we have to worship and have to sing and have to be with God's people. There is sin reigning in our heart if that is true. Seek his fellowship. We see Abraham just doing that with these three. He, we, he may know who they are. We get hints that he knows who they are. Somewhere along the way, he finds out who they are, and has never told us exactly when. But notice what he says. Uh, get some water. Have some rest. Let me wash your feet. Have some bread. It's interesting. That's exactly what Jesus does for us. Here, Abraham's serving Jesus. And then when Jesus comes, what does he do? He washes the feet of the disciples. He says, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I am the bread of life. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Abraham served him here, so too Jesus serves us. Not so that we would feel good about ourselves and think, oh, Jesus is our servant. No, but that we would learn to serve, serve others and serve him. And to understand that he has made much of us so that we can worship him and love him more. 
John chapter 8, Jesus is getting challenged in verse 56. And he says this. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. And was glad. Have you ever wondered, what was Jesus talking about? When he said, Abraham saw him and was glad. It could very well be that this is the conversation in question. That Jesus comes before Mary and Joseph, pre-incarnate, comes and sits down with Abraham. And so, years later, hundreds and thousands of years later, Jesus says, Abraham saw me, and he was glad to see me and rejoiced in that. And then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly I said to you before Abraham was, I am. Let's keep on going with the story here. Verse 3. Or we'll keep on going. He says, he says look, Lord, I, I seek, I want your favor. I desire your favor. Let me just say, let us say that as a church. Verse 3. Jesus, do not pass us by. Feel welcome here in our home, in our community. And then we keep on. They said, do as you've said. So verse 6. Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. And it was customary for the for ladies at that time not to be there with the male guests. And so they often were in another section of the tent uh, where they were not usually seen or heard uh, by the male guest. And, and so he goes, hurries into the tents to see Sarah. And, and he says, hey, quickly, make, make three measures of fine meal, knead them up and make cakes. Guys, you understand what, what's happened here? We've done this. You know, we'll say, hey, yeah, come on over. And then we'll, get, we'll, call, we'll call our wife and say, hey, we got some folks coming over. And then they say, you what? <laughs> Who's coming over? When? No. <laughs> well, you got the same thing going on here with Abraham. He said, hey, I just invited some folks over. We need to make some cakes real quick. Stop what you're doing. You know, we got, we got some work to do. Hurry is the theme here in, in this part. And so that's what he's doing. Three measures of fine meal. He said, you get the idea that this is going to be a little snack. Just rest a little bit, get some... Get some bread, you know. Well, as we read this, we find it's not a snack. All right? Three measures of fine meal. That's about 30 quarts of flour. All right? We're not... <laughs> that's a lot of food. All right? They're, they're preparing big time. He says fine meal, not just the everyday stuff. This is the fine meal. And then Abraham ran to the herd and took a tender and good calf. All right. You can imagine... Him going, running through, he's looking through, doing a quick survey of the animals. That's not good. No, that one's not. No, no. Oh, look at this one. This is a nice one. Plump, tender. Let's, let's get it. All right. A little calf can produce up to 100 pounds of veal. Like I said, this is not just a snack. All right. This is a huge feast that's about to be put out uh, to these, these folks. And he gives it to the young man. And he says, you prepare it. He hastens to prepare it. So he took butter, milk, and the calf which you prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. You get in this passage two themes. One, the hurried state, the speedy uh, ways of Abraham. Two, this is select stuff. This is good stuff. Listen. When we are wanting and desiring divine intimacy... Not only do we sit in the place of obedience, not only do we seek the fellowship of God, but we must show the greatness 
of God. One thing that in watching Abraham you get is that these people are impressive folks. Look at how he's responding to them. Look at he's putting out the best spread. He is treating them royally. They must be wonderful people. Listen, do people think that God is great by how how you live? Do you show the greatness of God, his character, his person? Do you show that you're sold out to him because he's worth being sold out, sold out to? Do you demonstrate his greatness in your lifestyle? Worship is not just sitting here on Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle, and it's a lifestyle of demonstrating the greatness of God in everything that you do. Everything that you do. God is a part of it, and your point is to say, God is great. And let me just show that by how I treat my wife, how I treat my children, how I treat my parents, how I treat my co-workers, how I treat my studies, all that I do, my work, my dress, my body, I show the greatness of God. Listen, the Bible says that we are the temple of the Spirit of God. Not do we, we do not just have Jesus coming in human form, sitting down to a mill with us. We have the very Spirit of God who is indwelling within us. We are to show the greatness of God by how we treat our body, how we treat our life. How does it demonstrate his greatness? And so, notice also, he said it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Now, why was that told? Well, it's told because he's taken the place of a servant. He is not so close to intrude, but he's not so far away that he cannot see what's needed. Now, Abraham, we know, has over 318 trained men who can fight in in battle. They are his servants. We have no idea how many more that he has. He could have easily just delegated that that little deal out. So, all right, I want you to serve them, make sure all their needs are taken care of. But he did not. Why? This was not something he could delegate. Friends, serving God is not something to delegate. There is worship that we're to do that is to take a price. I'm reminded of David. When David was trying to stop the plague and got in the kingdom, and God gave him instructions about what to do, he was to purchase some land in which to build an altar. And he came to the owner of the land. He said, I want to this land. And the owner said, I will give it to you. After all, you're the king. And he says, no, no, it will not happen without me paying a price. I must Worship God with a price. Friends, we get the same idea with Abraham that he is worshiping, that he's serving these folks, serving God himself, and he does so personally. You don't delegate this. What price are we paying in worship of our Lord? And so we come to verse 9. Then they said to him, Well, where is Sarah, your wife? No. In case Abraham did not figure it out, and I believe he did figure out before this, this was a giveaway. This is not just a man talking to me. What's the big deal? Well, first of all, he knew the name of his wife. And second of all, he knew the new name of his wife. This was the new name that was just given in chapter 17. Just a few months prior, uh, she, her name had changed by God from Sarai to Sarah. And here these folks are using this name. Who would know that? Well, this is of the Lord. So in case he didn't know, he does now. And so he says, well, uh, she's here in the tent. And he said, well, 
I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. Behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. This was just three mo- a few months prior, uh, after the last revelation given to him in Genesis 17. Circumcision was a sign of these things. He is giving him more affirmation that these things are going to happen. Now notice what's given to us here in verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old. <laughs> All right. Not only is she old, she's also barren. In fact, we find in chapter 11, verse 30, uh, she was described as barren. And that was over 24 years ago. So she's old, 90. She was always, always has been barren. And then we're going to find a little bit more. Uh, she was well advanced in age. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Or as the King James says, the ways of the women had left her. She's going through menopause. All right. So you can imagine what every heat flash told her. All right? I'm not having a child. I'm not having a child. All these things are just sealing the deal for her. It's not going to happen in my life. A barren woman, old age, 90, menopause. (laughs) And so consequently, verse 12, therefore Sarah laughed within herself. Now what would you do? All right? What would you do? She does that. She laughs within herself. You know, we may be a little hard on her about this. You know, we got hindsight. We can look back on But let me just share with you. 24 years ago, if God had told you that your life would be what it is now, it's changed in the format that it has, how would your reaction be? I don't know how your reaction is, but I could tell you that 24 years ago, if you had told me that I would be doing what I'm doing right now, I would have said, no. That's the last thing I want to be doing. I've heard people all my life ask me if I'm going to follow my daddy's footsteps. I said, no way. I don't want to do that. I don't want to preach. I don't want to be a pastor. 24 years later, here I am. All right? But if God had told me that, I probably would have laughed and said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know me. All right? Maybe that was what Sarah was thinking. You don't know me. What are you? You can't see me? How, How can you say these things? And she laughs. And then notice what she says. After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. Now, um, what we're talking about here is, is she is admitting that she has not been uh, doing any activities with her husband by which children are usually produced. All right? And so she's saying, you know what? My husband is, is, is old too. He's 100. I don't, you know, I just don't see this happening. <laughs> you know? Now, let me just state something. It was just a few months ago that uh, God had given to Abraham this word that a child would be produced. I wonder how much Abraham really told Sarah. Evidently, he wasn't initiating anything, but uh, to his credit, he did go through circumcision. All right? So that will have an effect. But nonetheless, you've got this, this statement. She says, is this really going to, how can it be? After we've grown old, that shall I have pleasure also, my Lord being old also. You notice that phrase, Lord, uh, even in this moment of uh, frustration, of hilarity for her, she still has that, that title of respect for her husband. First Peter chapter 3, verse 6 makes mention of that as the respect, uh, as an example of respect for women uh, who are married. Verse 13, and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I'm old. First thing of note, one, the Lord's talking. 
Any question who it is talking? It's not just an angel. It's the Lord. This is Jesus talking to him. And then the second thing of note, he's talking to Abraham about something Sarah did. Why is, why is Abraham the one being questioned? Why is he the one that has a gentle rebuke about Sarah's laughter? It could very well be that Abraham didn't tell Sarah everything about the last revelation. Yeah, he, I'm sure he explained to him the circumcision and what was going on, but evidently he did not quite tell everything to Sarah because she reacts seemingly as if she's heard this for the first time. So Abraham gets asked this question. Isn't it funny? Things that we think is a perfectly reasonable question, God's asked, why do you ask such things? He said, why did Sarah laugh? Why is she laughing? (laughs) And then he explains in the next verse. But before I get to the next verse, just something for us to think about as husbands, those of us who are men who are married. What does it mean to be a spiritual leader? Understand that you set the tenor. You set the tone. For your family. Isn't it interesting that Sarah reacted just like Abraham reacted? Guys, if you have complaints about your family, complaints about your wife, don't go up to them and tell them, why aren't you this way? Or why are you not this way? The first thing we've got to do is ask ourselves, what are we doing or not doing to cause them to react this way? To set the tone. Guys, it comes back to us. We see here just an example of what what leadership does for good or for bad in Abraham's life here. But he goes, Jesus goes on and talks and says, "Look, why are you laughing, Sarah? Shall I saying that shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord?" Verse fourteen. Underline that, bold it, circle it, whatever you need to do to notice that verse. That verse 14 is the reason why everything has been progressing the way it has. It's the reason why they've been waiting for 24 years. It's the reason reason why Sarah didn't have a baby at the young age of 50. All right? Uh, It's it's the reason why it's worked out the way it has. is to show a lesson that there is nothing too hard for the Lord. That's the point. Now, Sarah... Abraham, they needed to hear this. After the laughter died, I'm sure there was some serious reflection going on between Abraham uh, and Sarah about what God had said. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, talks about this, uh, this moment of faith and using Sarah as an example of this faith that they, they are to exhibit. Think with me, ladies. You're 90 years old. You just got word. You're going to have a child. All right? You understand the serious reflection that's going on now? Okay? What do you think she's going to rest on when the labor pains start? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything too hard for the Lord? It's going to be a constant refrain in her mind, and it's what's going to build her faith. It is knowing who God is that builds faith. That's why you study the Word of God. That's why you read the Word of God. That's why I teach the Word of God, so that you know who God is. As you know who God is, you trust in Him. Faith grows from that, and from that grows obedience. And so Sarah, Abraham, no doubt, in her 90th year, in his 100th year, was constantly going back, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. 
and it carries her through. It's the lesson. God does things sometimes just to prove a point. That God is great. He does things so that you cannot be confused as who is doing them. Not God, not man, but God. Oh, he said, no, Eliezer, that would make sense, Abraham. That would be easy because you have no child. Yeah, you can take him as your servant, but where is the working of God in that? How does that declare the greatness of God? And he says, oh, Hagar and, and uh, Ishmael, well, that makes sense. Uh, it seems like a good plan, but how does that display the greatness of God? Any man can do that. Any woman can do that. But Sarah, 90, Abraham, you 100, have a baby. No man can do that. Only God can do that. And so consequently, when you see a 94-year-old woman trying to stay up with a 4-year-old woman, and she does it, a 4-year-old man, a little boy, and she does it, and you think, how does that happen? And she'll say to you, nothing's too difficult for God. And you believe her. And you believe her. God orchestrates events and things to demonstrate his greatness. Sometimes you may be in a waiting period and you wonder why is it I'm waiting. It could be that God is waiting for the right circumstances to come together to best demonstrate his greatness. Martha and Mary asked Jesus when Lazarus was sick and dying, in fact had been dead three days, asked Jesus, why did you not come earlier? Well, if he had come earlier, there would have been no resurrection. And they would not have learned that Jesus is the resurrection. There are things that God does in orchestrating times and events that we wonder why do they happen the way they do. We can say that there are some things that God does to demonstrate his greatness. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We see this repeated throughout the Old Testament. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Oh, Lord God, behold, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. Jeremiah 32, verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Zechariah chapter 8, verse 6, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, It is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of his people in these days. Would it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts? Mark chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Luke chapter 1, verse 37, In talking to Mary, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Luke chapter 18, verse 27. But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Could it be that God wants you to get something when you repeat it over and over again? Understand that truth. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. He says, at the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. <laughs> Nothing's too difficult for the Lord. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is there a sin for which the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, cannot atone? Moses was a murderer, but he was saved. David was an adulterer and a murderer, and he was saved. Peter denied Christ. Paul was involved in killing Stephen. There's countless of other sinners who've been saved by the merits of Jesus Christ's death alone. Now, salvation was not too hard for God. Why should yours be impossible? God says to you, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Friends, nothing's too difficult for God. He can forgive us of our sins. Is raising a family too hard for God? Is the habit that you're trying to break too hard for God to help you break? Is there a problem 
that you've been communicating with your husband that's, that's too hard for the Lord to help deal with in your life? Is waiting on the right person in your life too difficult that God, you think God cannot do? Is there changes in people's life that you think that God cannot do? Friends, understand that if you're telling yourself that God cannot do it, you are believing a lie. There must be a change. And it starts with knowing who God is. Believe who God is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself had received strength to conceive and seed, conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Know the promises of God and know that he's faithful. Notice verse 15, Sarah's reaction. Sarah denied it, <laughs> saying, no, I didn't laugh. <laughs> what do you do? I mean, God, God said, uh, you laughed, you did something wrong. <laughs> you don't want to look bad before Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? No, you did laugh. In other words, yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. Are you fooling me? You know, you can't fool Jesus. He knows what's going on in the heart. So, you know, nothing's more said from Sarah from that point on. Well, I mean, you can't say anything else. You just go on. You say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. You know, it's good for you to know who God is. Understand, whatever you're dealing with in your life today, nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Believe that he who promised is faithful. Deepen your faith in the God of the impossible. Because tomorrow, you may need that faith. It comes from divine, intimate encounters with God. Sit in the place of obedience. Seek His presence. And show the greatness of God in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a great God. Lord, you're worth my heart, my life, my all. Lord, help me in my dealings with my relationships. Show how great you are. Help me in dealing with time and with things to show that you are great. May I be a servant to you. Nothing that I can delegate. Lord, let me pay the prices to worship you. Father, teach me and help me to sit in the place of obedience. Show me your truth that I may walk in it. Unite my heart to follow after you. And Lord, give me a new heart to seek after you. To not treat you as a side interest or as a hobby or of one of many things in my life, but that you yourself become my life, my all. Lord, teach me more of who you are, not just by word, but indeed in truth that I may live and experience and know and be able to say to others, I know that you are the God of the impossible, not just because I read it, but because I experienced it in my life. May we wait on you, Lord. And Father, if there's a heart here that does not know you, does not come to you, 
Lord, let them know that their life can be forgiven, their life can be changed, Lord, that they must come to you and make you king. I pray this in your name. Amen. I just want to invite you this morning as we...